Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Sometimes, Lord, it just seems to be too much. Too much violence, too much fear, too much of demands and problems, too much of broken dreams and broken lives, too much of war and slums and dying, too much of greed and squishy fatness and the sounds of people devouring each other and the earth. Too much of stale routines and quarrels, unpaid bills and dead ends. Too much of words lobbed in to explode and leaving shredded hearts and lacerated souls. Too much of turned away backs and yellow silence, red rage and the bitter taste of ashes in my mouth. Sometimes the very air seems scorched by threats and rejection and decay until there's nothing but to inhale pain and exhale confusion. Too much of darkness, Lord. Too much of cruelty and selfishness and indifference. Too much, Lord. Too much. Too bloody, bruising, brainwashing much. Or is it too little? Too little of compassion, too little of courage, of daring, of persistence, of sacrifice. Oh God, make of me some nourishment for these starved times, some food for my brothers and sisters who are hungry for gladness and hope, that being bread for them, I may also be fed and be full. Keep light in the darkness, my God. 
that you are, especially in these times, Lord, you are the light in the midst of a very dark place. That you are the one that always keeps his promises to never fail. To always show up with your love, with your forgiveness, with your grace, with your peace. Lord, thank you that you are the miracle-working God that comes in supernaturally and seeks to bring reconciliation, to bring restoration, to bring your kingdom here on earth. Thank you that that is who you are, that that is always who you've been, and that is always who you will be. In your name. Good morning, Ocean Hills. Wow, what a comfort it is to know the truth of that song that we just sung and heard together. That we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is with us and he's for us. And as I think about the weight of this moment in history, in our country, in our church, uh, I'm so comforted. That's the word I think of when I think about God in me, God with me, God for me. And I want to take a moment this morning. I think it's important for us as a church family to acknowledge that, that we stand with and we support our black brothers and sisters who are suffering, who have suffered for hundreds of years in this country. And today we want to say we as a church community, a predominantly white church community, we stand with you against racism, against police brutality. And we stand up and we say, we are praying for you. We are praying for unity. We are praying for healthy relationships, for racial reconciliation. We want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so as a church, we're in a season right now of listening, of learning, of reading, of repenting of seeking God and listening to the Holy Spirit. How do we move forward from here in ways that are God honoring? And so I hope you hear me this morning. And I know we have different lenses and different optics that we're seeing the world and seeing this moment through. This morning, it's just kind of crazy to me that as we're going through Colossians 3, the curriculum for Christ-likeness that Dallas Willard called it. That we're in these verses this morning. It just feels like a Holy Spirit moment because I believe they speak to us as a church family right here in Santa Barbara. And I'm going to tell you why. What we have as a church family is very, very special. It's very, very unique. You may not know it. We're not, we wouldn't be described as a multi-ethnic church. But we are a multi-political church. And what I mean by that is we have a group of people, a family of followers of Jesus that vote very differently, that see life very differently, that earnestly, authentically are pursuing a real relationship with Jesus. But on social issues and on a world perspective, they come down and they vote differently. And that's what makes this kind of political mosaic, if I can call it that, of our community really, really special. And in a moment like this, really, really fragile. 
And so this morning as I read this scripture, I have a heightened sensitivity about the way we treat each other in this moment. As we are watching the news, as we're reading and, and, and engaged, I affirm that, I applaud that. That's what we need to be doing, listening, learning, and also respecting each other that, that, that see the world differently, that see this issue differently. Colossians chapter three. As I read the word of God, I want you to, if you can, try and just strip off whatever your preconceived notion is that I have a hidden agenda right now and listen to the word of God. Colossians 3, verses 7 and 8. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. Right there, Paul's saying there's a way when you were part of the world that you thought and behaved, but when you follow Jesus, there's, a, there's another way to live and behave. He says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. The big idea here that Paul's getting at is as followers of Jesus, the tongue, our words, are very, very powerful. They bring life and they bring death. They can soothe and heal, and they can wound and kill a person's soul. And I wanna speak directly to our Ocean Hills family today. I love you, I care about you, we're in this together. And I feel like I'm a little bit in the crossfire because I hear from all sides of the political realm that's represented in our church. And I love it, I love the diversity of opinion, but it's fragile we tend to start vilifying and demonizing our brothers and sisters. And I wanna just kind of hold up a kind of cautionary and say, it's okay to feel righteous anger. That's a good thing. That's Jesus spirited. Um, but let's, let's also be cautious in that righteous anger. Let's have a, a check in our spirit with our brothers and sisters. And, and, and let's then also guard against unrighteous anger and slander and putting people down and, 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 like I said, demonizing people that don't think the way we think, don't vote the way we vote, and maybe don't follow Jesus or vote uh, on issues the way Jesus would or we think Jesus would. You hear what I'm saying. I'm trying to just communicate right now in my heart that we're holding our church family in these times uh, and we're holding it together and I need you to hold it together as well. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus said, I'm praying that my church would be one. We have an opportunity right now in real time, men and women, I want you to hear me right now, to hold the family of God together that, that, that like I said, is really politically diverse that cannot be explained in any other way. You don't find it anywhere in the world, except Jesus is the only explanation for why we would choose to be a family together. You look anywhere else on the planet and it's like, I just, I just hang out with people that, that see the world the way I see it, that vote the way I vote. Ocean Hills isn't that way. This is so special, so unique, and really a gift of grace that God has given us. And so I'm calling on us today as we move forward, I want you to have your convictions, but I want us to respect each other, to build each other up, to seek to understand 
the other point of view, the other person, and to have compassion. That's the spirit of Jesus, filled with compassion. Not at the expense of truth, but filled with grace. And I want, I want to end by saying this. People of God have been touched by grace, and we've been transformed by grace. And the evidence of that is that we become more and more and more gracious to others the more and more we experience the transforming grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that shows up in the way we talk to each other and talk about each other. Thanks for letting me share my heart with you. And now you're about to receive a gift. I'm going to interview Bill Burton, who's a very uh, special friend, and he's part of our Ocean Hills family. He's a follower of Jesus. He was part of uh, the Obama administration. He had a, his own office in the White House. And enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening. What's up, Ocean Hills family? I'm here with Bill Burton. He's part of our church family. He's a follower of Jesus and uh, very excited to be interviewing him today. And I want you to know, just a little sidebar here, we are social distance. We're being very just conservative and cautious. We wore our masks coming in. And uh, so fun to have you this morning, Bill. Let's just jump right into it. And I got a few questions I want to ask you. Number one, as a biracial man, you're Father was black, your mother was white. Uh, tell us about your racial experience growing up. Well, first, thanks so much for letting me be a part of this conversation. It's a real privilege. Uh, so when I grew up, I, uh, initially my dad wasn't in the picture much. And so I grew up with uh, my mom in a really Polish neighborhood in Buffalo, New York. Uh, so Polish that Polish was the language that was spoken at the market. Uh, it was the language that mass was in on Sundays. And, you know, we... Uh, as, as I was getting older, the neighborhood became more and more African-American. And I, you know, without my dad in the picture, I really didn't know how to deal with race. And so as the school became more African-American, the tension was elevated a lot. And so there were a lot of fights and they were always racial. And I'm ashamed in retrospect that I often just came down on the side of white and, uh, you know, for self-preservation purposes. But as I grew, I, in fifth grade, one day we're filling out standardized, a standardized test form. And Mrs. Morato, our teacher, wanted to make sure everybody, they're 10-year-olds, right? Uh, she wanted to make sure everybody was doing their forms right. And so she said, okay, who filled out white? Raise your hand on the race question. Who filled out black? Anybody fill out anything else? And I raised my hand and I said, I filled out other. And she said, Billy Burton, you were black. And so that was the first moment that I internalized that that was how society, that was how authority figures were going to see me. Now, my racial experience hasn't been like people who have darker skin than mine, and I would never claim that it is. I, I have a deep appreciation for my heritage. I feel deep sadness when I see injustice against my race. And it's, it, this has been a hard moment. But I would never suggest that my experience has been the same as people who, who have darker skin than me. Yeah. Let me ask you a second question, and it's just simply, how do you react to what's happening on the streets in America right now? Well, I have to say, it's, um, this is a really heartbreaking moment. Um, and the anger and the hatred and the violence that has led us here. 
And you know, people are marching the streets because the, the injustice towards African Americans at the hands of law enforcement has for too long been unfair and violent and people everywhere, all across this nation, all around the world, are rising up and saying that you know, there, there has to be an end to this. And if the coronavirus taught us anything, it's that we're all connected. All over this country, we're connected. All across the world, we're connected. And I, I, and I, and I think that the, the goal of this movement and this moment is to, to make changes that can make everybody just live in, in the kind of world that we ought to live in, where people are treated the way that they ought to be treated. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm gonna push you a little bit. Uh, you worked very closely with President Obama. You were the Deputy White House Press Secretary, so you were on Air Force One all the time. You had your own office in the White House. Uh, many of us thought, we're not a racist country. We elected a black president, and now, here we are in a national crisis, again, over racism. Can you speak to that? Well, all throughout that campaign, I started early with President Obama. I was uh, the fourth hire on his presidential campaign in 2007. And throughout that campaign, it was, it was a beautiful experience. And the movement that led to him getting elected was such an awesome thing to be a part of. But every step of the way, we could feel the racial tension that was building around his candidacy, around the presidency. Um, and even though he won, it wasn't without increasing racial tension in a lot of way. And a lot of people who voted for him voted for him uh, not because of the color of his skin, but because they wanted change in this country. And he gave real hope to a different direction. But then he was elected and the racial tension just increased. It didn't decrease. It wasn't like, check, we've solved racism. It was more like, we are in this fight and it's a long way to go until we really get to the, what underlies the racism in this country. And then, you know, President Trump was elected, and I think that tensions have only increased, not decreased. And so if we've learned anything, it's, you know, there's a long, long fight and struggle to get to the place where we ought to be. And, you know, as President Obama said earlier this week, uh, things are tough right now, but the good news is it is better than it was in the 1960s. And it can be better than it is right now in the 2030s or the 2040s but it takes intention and we've got to work towards it. I like that. One more question before we let you go. <clears throat> and it's just simply this, as a follower of Jesus, what are your hopes for the church and the people of God right now? Well, <clears throat> I've really been reflecting on this this past week. And the conclusion that I've come to is that we sort of have all the tools that we need in order to deal with this moment. You know, the, the, the fact that above you when you give sermons are the words, love everyone always, that it's the motto of our church and at the center of the teachings here. It's at the center of Christianity. I think that has to be at the core of, of moving our nation forward, moving our community forward. You know, when, uh, when Jesus was born in Israel, it was a really hard time for him and for his people uh, for the Samaritans, for, for all the folks who lived under Roman rule. And the injustice was extraordinary. People were beaten, murdered. There was no consequence for it at all. Uh, women were second-class citizens. But Jesus came to earth and he said, your life matters. And I think that right now, <clears throat> as we're in one of the most tumultuous moments in the history of our country, you know, this year we've had a global pandemic 
We've had race riots in our streets. Our economy is in free fall. 40 million Americans are unemployed. 100,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus. Five, 10, 20, 30 years from now, people are gonna look back at this moment and they're gonna ask you, what'd you do? What led you in, in 2020? I saw someone say this week, if you're wondering where you would have been in the 1960s in the moment of civil unrest, what you would have done, you're doing it right now. <clears throat> you're doing it right now. <clears throat> and I just believe that if we really do keep love at the center of, of what we're thinking and we do approach these problems with, um, with that in our mind, we, we can get things better. Because even for all the injustice that Jesus saw on earth, he didn't say hate. He didn't say destroy. He said love. Yeah. That was the commandment. And so I just think that if, if, if we can be intentional as a church community, as a Santa Barbara community, as an American community, if we listen to each other, if we try to build and not destroy, then I think that we can really move this country forward. We can really move our, our community forward. And we can be proud of what we did in this moment. That's good, man. That's strong. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to transition right now into just an extended moment of silent reflection. And the service isn't ending, but the screen is going to go blank and black. And, and we're going to invite you to search your own heart right now, to offer this prayer to God. Search me, O God, and know my heart and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful or offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That comes from the Psalms. So let's enter into a silent prayer of reflection.
Grace and 
Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I want to thank my good friend Bill Burton for his heart, his courage to come and share with us. I just love him, love what he adds to our church family, whether you agree with his politics or not. Thanks so much, Bill. And uh, also, thank you for your giving and supporting the work of God in Jesus Christ in this church. We invite you to keep giving generously, and we thank you that you do. I want to remind us as we close the good news that God is good all the time. He's better than you think. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.